Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning. You can turn there in your Bibles, Mark 8. And uh, as Pastor Nathan alluded to earlier, there's some great things all throughout the chapter, uh, Mark chapter 8, that we can't cover all of it. We're going chapter by chapter in our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to focus in this morning on Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. And so I hope that you've been reading uh, these chapters in preparation for Sunday morning. That's the other thing that's great is, is you can come in prepared uh, by reading the chapter that you know we're going to be in that following Sunday. And so we're in chapter 8 this week. If you want to come in next week, you can be reading chapter 9. No one's going to be checking off if you did your homework when you come through the doors. But uh, you can be prepared as you come in. And uh, I had one person talk to me today that they were trying to guess where at in the passage we were going to be. And, and uh, you can do that too if you want and try to guess and, and uh, you know, talk to people in your family and see who gets it right. And the loser has to, your loser doesn't get to pick where you get lunch or what you're going to eat or whatever. So uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Uh, let's pick up there. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You know, we are inundated in the world in which we live with questions. And sometimes uh, it can be frustrating when you get question after question after question. I was taking my youngest daughter the other day and she wanted to get a happy meal. And so when you order a happy meal at the restaurant there, uh, you order it and you have to answer like four different questions. Is this for a boy or a girl? Do you want apples or yogurt? What do you want to drink? Chocolate, milk, or milk? Do you want uh, to have what kind of sauce if you're getting chicken nuggets? It's like question, 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 question. Uh, recently switched primary care physicians, and it was the first time visiting with this new physician. And so prior to him seeing me, uh, there was a series of questions about everything you could imagine in my life that I had to answer because of doing the due diligence of understanding my medical background and history. And it was question after question after question after question. I felt so vulnerable after answering all of these questions. Uh, we're inundated with them. Questions every day. If you have kids, in particular young kids, you're asked questions all day long. Why is the sky blue and why is the grass green and why do we do this and not that? And, and questions can be overwhelming sometimes and sometimes there are questions that really don't matter. Sometimes there are questions where when they're asked, the answer is, I don't care, pick whatever you want. But then there are those questions that are so valuable and important that they demand our attention. And that's one of the questions we see asked this morning in the passage before us. And what I would say is the most important question. Who is Jesus? And this morning, I don't know how you would answer that coming into this room. If you were to be stopped and asked outside of the walls of this church, who do you say Jesus is? And maybe a better question is, uh, what does our life say about Jesus and who we believe he is? You see, that's the question that Jesus would pose here to his followers. 
He would ask them in verse 27, who do people say that I am? Who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis made famous the question of, is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he in fact Lord? Because he must be one of the three. And although that didn't that, that reasoning and that line of thinking did not originate with C.S. Lewis. Other preachers had asked those questions in a different way. It was C.S. Lewis and in his book, Mere Christianity, where uh, this would be written down for us, asking the question or making the statement that Jesus is either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he is in fact Lord. I wonder what do you believe about Jesus this morning? Who is Jesus To you. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about that quote by C.S. Lewis towards the end of the message today, and I think he poses some great thoughts that we'll look at in just a little bit. But who is Jesus to you? The most important question that you can answer today. So uh, let's begin in verse 27 when Jesus asks his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Now, there are a variety of opinions even today. In regards to this question of who do people say Jesus is, but we want to look at the response from the text of who the crowds thought Jesus was, who the Pharisees thought Jesus was, who Peter confessed Jesus to be, and then where's our current culture on this? And so let's just answer some of these questions of who do people say Jesus is. Who do the crowds think Jesus is? Well, it's spelled out for us here because they answered him. It says, verse 28, they told him, this is his disciples telling Jesus, some believe you're John the Baptist. Some believe that you are John the Baptist. If you remember, John the Baptist would be beheaded because of his preaching and because he was not liked. Uh, And so he would be beheaded. And uh, some thought that this might be John the Baptist back from the dead. That the things that Jesus was doing and teaching and saying, uh, that this was John. John the Baptist back from the dead. The problem with that is John the Baptist during his earthly ministry, his time here before he was beheaded, would make the confession concerning Jesus when Jesus would be walking by him and he would say to all that could hear, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we have to understand something that John the Baptist himself would not believe that this was John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist would make a confession concerning Jesus. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was very clear on that. Some believed Jesus was the prophet Elijah, a great prophet. And uh, they thought this is who he is. He's Elijah. He's, he's doing the works of Elijah and he's preaching uh, as Elijah. And, and this is someone that is to be, uh, you know, reverenced. And this is someone that is from God and he's a prophet of God, an Old Testament prophet from God that is proclaiming and teaching and preaching to us. Some believed simply he was a prophet, not necessarily Elijah, but a prophet sent from God. Many people would comment even on the teaching of Jesus that he was teaching as no one else that they had heard teach. A powerful teacher, a powerful messenger, uh, and some believed him to be a prophet. The crowds, um, I, I wish I could say were on the right track, but it's not the right track to simply believe Jesus to be a powerful communicator or a prophet from God or someone special from God. That's not who he was. That's not who he is. But that's who the crowds thought he was. And let's just think back for a moment because 
During the earthly ministry of Jesus, and we've been seeing this through the first seven and now eight chapters of Mark, uh, Jesus had crowds of people following him wherever he went. Uh, They were running to follow Jesus. They were abandoning things because they wanted to hear him and they wanted to be fed by him physically. They wanted to be healed by him physically. And so people were traveling from all around to come to Jesus. I want you to think of something, uh, just with what Pastor Nathan mentioned about the roads in, in Africa and this individual that traveled eight days to receive help, to receive this medical care. That individual had not heard that miraculously people were touching people who had sicknesses or diseases or physical needs and they were being healed. No, he heard probably about the medical care that was available and surgery that would take place. He traveled eight days to receive that. Can you imagine how far people would be traveling to come to hear Jesus, to be touched by Jesus, to hear that A man born blind was able to receive his sight. To hear that a man that was paralyzed and could not walk at the very words of Jesus could take up his bed and go home fully healed. A man who was possessed by demons that was miraculously healed and in his right mind. Listen, if folks would travel eight days today for a surgery, can you imagine how far and to what great lengths people would be traveling to hear Jesus? And yet the crowds still did not know or believe in him as the son of God. And yet they would follow him, want to hear him and want to be touched by him. To the crowds thought he was. John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet. The Pharisees, on the other hand, didn't think that way concerning Jesus. They thought of Jesus as a fraud, and they went so far as to even say that Jesus was an instrument of Satan. I love the fact that in this passage, when Jesus asked the question of who do people say that I am, that the disciples didn't even touch on who the Pharisees thought he was. I thought that was great. Kind of like they were just completely disregarding whatever the Pharisees thought concerning Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus was completely owning the Pharisees every time there was something that came up, right? He was basically uh, discrediting them, whatever they would say. But the crowds certainly thought of Jesus in a positive manner at this point in his ministry, although it would be the crowds that would be stirred up down the road to call for his crucifixion. That shows and reveals who they truly thought Jesus was. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, thought of Jesus as a fraud and as an instrument of Satan. In Mark chapter 9, verses 32 to 34, it says, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed... Actually, I believe that's supposed to be Matthew. Matthew 9, 32 to 34. Uh, It says, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Just a couple chapters back in the Gospel of Mark, we heard the same thing when they attributed the works that Jesus was accomplishing to the devil and that the authority and power by which he was working was from the devil. Matthew chapter 27, 62 to 64, this is following the crucifixion of Jesus. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. 
Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the chief priests thought of Jesus as a liar, a fraud, an instrument of Satan. Primarily because they were envious of Jesus, we're even told that the reason they delivered Jesus over to be crucified was out of envy. They hated him. But they were proclaiming and attributing the works that Jesus was doing to that of Satan, to fraudulent activity, to being a liar, someone that could not be believed. And so you have those two very different viewpoints concerning Jesus. You have the Pharisees who thought of Jesus as a fraud, as a liar, as an instrument of Satan. You had the crowds who thought of Jesus as possibly John the Baptist. Uh, you thought, they thought of Jesus possibly as the prophet Elijah. Some considered Jesus to be a great prophet. And you had these two opposing viewpoints. But can I share with you that both were, were wrong. Both were wrong. And it's important for us to understand that because sometimes we can think that the one was more right than the other, but they were also just wrong in their understanding of who Jesus is. And so Jesus asks the question in verse 24, uh, he, I'm sorry, in verse 28, and they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He asked them, verse 29, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus is now asking his disciples, he's asking those that are following him, he's asking those that have observed his teaching and those that he has specifically called to himself and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? That's great, that's who the crowd thinks I am. They were already fully aware of who the Pharisees thought Jesus was, but Jesus uh, gets really pointed here, doesn't he? He specifically wants to know from those that are closest to him, that have observed him, that are following him, that are walking with him, but who do you say that I am? And listen, church, that's the question you and I have to digest this morning. That's the question that matters more than any other question you will hear the rest of your life. I know that can sound like that's a pretty big statement, but it's true. The most important question you will ever be asked is the question of who do you say that Jesus is? Not who does the person next to you I'm not asking you as, as, a, as a kid to your parents, who do your parents think Jesus is? I'm not asking when you grew up in the home in which you grew up and with your background, who is Jesus to your family and who is Jesus to your family? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking personally you, who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And you see, that's what Jesus is asking here, and he's, he's pointing the question directly at them. But who do you say that I am? And I don't know how much time would have to go by before there was an answer. I don't know if the other disciples that were there were kind of like, ah, uh, because the crowds are there and they're not sure. I, I don't know. I have no idea the amount of time, but I do know this. It was Peter that would speak up an answer, and Peter would say to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Jesus would, would say in another account of this, listen, it's not flesh and blood that has revealed that to you, Peter. This has been revealed to you. This has been given to you by my Father. He's opened your eyes to who I am. But he would ask that all-important question, and Peter would answer, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now, it could be easy, right, to give that answer specifically to Jesus when he's asking, he's standing directly in front of you, and, and you know, it would be Peter that, that would eventually, when Jesus would be sent to be crucified, that would deny him, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. 
But it would also be Peter in Acts chapter 2 that would say, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You see, the confession of Peter that Peter would follow through with, that he would give his very life for, the confession of Peter is that this truly is the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. Peter would reply in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter would confess and believe this is the, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Those three viewpoints, one being correct, the other two being wrong. The crowds, very clearly, thought Jesus was pretty good. Good teacher, powerful teacher, a miracle worker, maybe Elijah, maybe John the Baptist, back from the dead, maybe a great prophet. The Pharisees very clearly thought he was a fraud, a liar, an instrument of Satan, someone that was taking away glory from themselves. They were envious of Jesus. Peter would make the confession. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now it's interesting because a lot of people might have the question, verse 30, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why would Jesus do that? And, and uh, that's a good question. Uh, we're not specifically told the reason why, but I, I believe that uh, what makes a lot of sense from a lot of commentators I've read is that Jesus would tell them that, one, because they had not yet fully understood the fact that Jesus would be crucified. Uh, what was awaiting Jesus and understanding yet at this point that Jesus was not there at this point to be their king, their earthly king. And so there'd be a lot of confusion as far as them proclaiming him to be such uh, and that they were not prepared to do that. And one of the reasons we know that they weren't prepared to do that is if you read the following verses right after this, when Jesus begins to teach them that he must suffer many things and be crucified, uh, Peter's going to be like, not so, Lord, I don't want you to do that. And it would go so far as Jesus telling Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you're not about the things of, of God and the, the works of the Father. And I think that makes a lot of sense, that they weren't yet prepared uh, to be able to fully proclaim him as king, given the current climate that they were in. Um, but it's very clear Jesus would tell them regarding that confession to keep quiet right now about that. Um, and so uh, it's a good question that we're not given a specific answer for, but it makes a lot of sense that they weren't yet ready or prepared to do that. Um, but this is a clear confession on the part of Peter. So we read all this, and I, I look at this and think, okay, this was something that is, is 2,000 plus years ago, right, that we're reading about who people believe Jesus was, the crowds, the Pharisees, uh, Peter's confession concerning Christ. Um, what about current culture and, and where our current culture is? Well, I was kind of uh, surprised, and, and these are somewhat uh, a little bit dated because uh, Barna did a study in 2015, so we're seven years removed from that study um, already, which I would think these numbers probably have dipped considerably even in the past seven years, given the current culture and climate we find ourselves in. But seven years ago when they did a study with the current culture and they asked people who is Jesus, 56% of those that were polled said that they believe that Jesus is God. Um, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of people when they say he is God. 26% um, felt like he was a good spiritual leader. 
Um, someone that was, you know, maybe should be followed because he's a good spiritual leader. 18% of those polled said they don't know. They don't, they don't really have an opinion or know who Jesus is. But here's what's very telling of, of those that would say that he is God. Of, of all those that were polled, over 50% believed that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. And so you see the problem with that? That even amongst those that would say, yeah, we believe that Jesus is God, there's not a clear understanding of what that means. Because over 50% believe that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. And, and so our current culture, to put it lightly, is, is really messed up when it comes to their clear understanding and viewpoint of who Jesus is. There are those that would confess that Jesus is God with not an understanding of what all that means. There are those that would say he's a great spiritual leader. There are those that would say, yeah, I'm unsure and I don't really care. A lot of similarities between the current culture we find ourselves living in, the people that you and I will rub shoulders with on a daily basis, and the, those that were so closely following after Jesus during the time that Jesus walked on the earth. And, and here's the thing I want to bring back and, and make this a little bit more personal. Um, those viewpoints are probably viewpoints that are scattered amongst the congregation even this morning. Say, so how in the world could that be? Well, you tell me how people could follow closely to Jesus, listen to him speak and teach, watch the miracles that he performed and still not be convinced that he is God. Do we think it's far-fetched to think there are those that are sitting in this congregation that come week after week after week after week to hear about Jesus and you're still sitting here and you are not yet convinced that Jesus Christ is God? Is he good? Sure. Great teacher? Absolutely. Someone who did great things? Absolutely. But God? Messiah? Savior? Lord? Is that really who he is? Well, I want to ask the question, who does Jesus say he is? It's great to look at this, right? It's great to examine who others believed Jesus was and, and the confession that Peter made. But let's even look at the words, very words of Jesus when Jesus makes proclamation of who he is. Who does Jesus say he is? Well, in John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus is making the claim to be God. He is putting himself on equal footing with the Father. I and my Father are one. In John 14, 9, passage that Sean had referenced earlier, uh, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you see what Jesus is proclaiming here? Again, equality with God. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am preexistent, eternal God. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, Jesus' proclamation that he is the only way to the Father. In Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He is Savior. So when we look at the very words of Jesus, the very teaching of Jesus, and we ask this same question, who does Jesus say he is? Jesus proclaimed, taught, demonstrated clearly that he is God, that he is Savior, that he is the Lord, that he is the preexistent, eternal Son of God. That he is the only way, truth, and life. That's who Jesus proclaimed himself to be. That is who Peter confessed Jesus to be. That is who Jesus is. So let's get personal this morning. Let me ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? 
I want to read to you this quote from C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity. We began there. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Let me put some context to what C.S. Lewis is saying. And, and I want you to process this because I want you to be able to honestly answer the question today. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis said this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. Here's the foolish thing they often say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. I want you to consider this. There are some that are maybe even in this room today or you rub shoulders with on a daily basis that are prepared and ready to say that Jesus was a great moral teacher, but they do not accept his claim to be God. I believe in that Barna study, and I should have wrote this down and I didn't, it was over 90%, I think it was 92% that believed that Jesus truly existed and walked the face of the earth because there's so much historical evidence to the fact that Jesus Christ actually, he walked and lived. Jesus of Nazareth, he, he walked and lived on this earth. So when people say there's no historical evidence that Jesus ever existed, they're lying, they're uninformed, and, and they don't understand what they're talking about because there are so, there's so much historical evidence of Jesus. Over 90%, I believe, of those pulled that said, yeah, we believe that the historical Jesus existed. And C.S. Lewis is saying, listen, there's some that are ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. I want you to think of that for a moment. Listen to what he's saying. You cannot say today, I believe Jesus was a great moral teacher, but he is not God. Because no man would be a great moral teacher and make the claims that Jesus made. He, both can't be true. You can't make the claims that Jesus made and say, yeah, he's a great moral man. Listen, if I'm standing up here and I say, hey, listen, I am proclaiming to you, church, today that, that I am one with the Father. If I stood before you today and said, hey, listen, I'm it. You can't follow anybody else. I am it. I'm the only way to God, and unless you listen to everything I tell you and do everything I tell you and believe with all of yourself in me, you can't go to heaven. It doesn't matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter what you've heard taught. It doesn't matter what the most religious people amongst you would proclaim. I am the only way to the Father. So much so, God and I are one. And seeing me, you've seen God. Can you imagine listening to that and then coming away with the conclusion, man, he's a great moral teacher. <laughs> it can't be true. It, it, and you see what C.S. Lewis is saying. They say, listen, it's an impossibility to say that I believe Jesus was a great moral teacher but not God. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg. I guess that was a great illustration back then when C.S. Lewis wrote this. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And so, too, you and I must come to the conclusion of who do we say that Jesus is? Because you and I believe in one of these three truths concerning Jesus. We either believe that he is a liar, a false teacher, a criminal, worthy of death, because he made himself out to be God. A lunatic, a messenger of Satan, self-delusional, arrogant, and a fool, or Lord. We confess and believe that he is Savior, the righteous judge. He is our King. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he? And I think this is really important, and this is a, a very important point for us to consider because we cannot truly believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Savior, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and at the same time believe that there are other ways to God. We cannot truly confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, that he is God, that he is Lord, and at the same time say, listen, I know what he says, but I, I'm not, I don't believe that and I don't follow that. We cannot believe equally that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father as he proclaimed, and at the same time believe people will be okay if they don't trust in Jesus. He is Lord or he is not. He is God or he is not. He is Savior exclusively or he is not. Who do you say Jesus is today? A little later on in Mark chapter 8, and we don't have time to cover it all, but in Mark chapter 8, towards the end of the passage, Jesus would say in verse 34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus makes very clear that what follows the confession that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is God, is a life that is committed to him. And a life committed to him, which can be so costly, this side of eternity. But we either believe or we do not. We know him to be Savior or we do not. In Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, you've heard these verses many times, but I want to read to you some of the surrounding verses as well. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul made very clear the confession concerning Jesus. And he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What an incredible promise. That if you're here today and you've never truly confessed, believed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, that he is Savior. You can do that today. And Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is Jesus? A liar? A lunatic? Or is he in fact Lord? That is the most important question you can answer. I hope every time you get posed a question in the coming week and you see that question and you have to think for an answer, the question will come up into your mind. Who is Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you say he is Lord, prove it. Prove it by your actions. Prove it by your words. Prove it in your confession. Prove it in your willingness, even in the face of suffering, to confess Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved today. Before you leave, as I say every week, when I'm up here, I will be right down in front. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you want to believe in Jesus, you want to confess Christ as Savior, you can come down front and see me, see a person who invited you to church this morning, another one of our pastors or leaders. But do not leave without knowing for sure your answer to that most important question. Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this all-important question that Jesus would pose to his disciples. And thank you for the confession that Peter would make that truly Jesus is the Christ. God, we believe today that there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. We believe in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the one true Savior, and Lord, we confess today that he is God. Help us to take that confession, that belief, that conviction with us as we go from here that we might glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.